interesting people, thought-provoking conversations, nutrition for your brain. Journey through the minds of the world's top performers and discover what it really takes to achieve your highest version. This is the Danny Miranda Podcast. Um, so, how many interviews have you done so far? Probably 250 in the last year. Yeah. Year and a half. Uh, two years. Somewhere yeah. Like yeah. So, uh, I only know what I know. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, definitely becoming an interviewer is definitely different than becoming an interviewee. So... I'd like to start with the the big rocks first. Um, what do you feel are the core principles to being a good interviewer? Being curious um, and being present in the moment to your curiosities. I think a lot of the times when I listen to podcasts to prepare, it's obvious that the question that is being asked is not something that the person thought of in that moment. It's something that they thought of previously. And there's nothing wrong with with having batch questions in the in the in the can so that you're you can, you know, have some sense of if this conversation goes to a different place, I can bring it back to a place I want it to go to. But with that being said, it's beautiful when in the moment the curiosity speaks through you. And mm-hmm. I think that's what people love about Joe Rogan. That's what people love about Tim Ferriss is like, they're just curious people and, and they're present. It seems as if they're present and peaceful in the moment to be able to go in any direction. Hmm. Have, is there any way that you've cultivated this curiosity about people? Yeah. So I was never a curious person as a kid, but what happened was as I started to meditate, I became curious about myself, which then made me curious about the world. So the single best interviewing tool that I have in my toolkit is literally spending time with myself on a consistent basis via meditation, like actually sitting down. Mm. And what is your meditation practice? It's 20 minutes right now of literally just watching my brain think. Not like just just seeing what is it saying today? How are we doing? You know, <laughs> like I feel so plugged in sometimes to the internet and plugged into media that I personally need the balance to return to the place of peace and presence. So often people are like, you know, that's a great question. I never thought of that. And it's like, I never thought of that either until just that moment. And the only reason I was able to access that question is because I was able to access a piece of myself that is deeper than the surface level. And do you meditate before the interviews that you do? Or do you meditate in the morning and then allow that to carry over? Yeah. So I meditate in the morning. um, But I often find if I give myself at least five minutes or 15 before an interview, it can turn out really well. And for me, and this is the thing, everyone finds out how they interview by interviewing. Just the same way you find out how you like to work out by working out. And everyone's got a different style and everyone has a different way of expressing themselves and asking questions. And it's it's like you can only know by doing sort of thing. Um, but how I do it is I, I meditate, um, 20 minutes in the morning and then I, if I can, I'll do five minutes before or a guided priming type of thing before as as well, like a Tony Robbins. Uh, I could send it to you. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, do you have an actual, I mean, meditation is part of the routine, uh, what else goes into the routine before you're going to interview someone like Gary V? Yeah. So one thing I'll do, which is kind of weird, but is helpful for me at least is I'll hold a pencil in my mouth. Like I'm biting down on the pencil and then speak 
for anywhere from one to three minutes. And when I do that, I tend to enunciate words better. I don't know if it's purely psychological and it's placebo, but it works. It feels like it works. And um, I got that from Sean Puri of My First Million, and he said he got it from Conor McGregor. So I've been doing it. And when I do it, I tend to enunciate better, which is cool. And, and you do that right before the interview. Yeah, like within five minutes of it. Uh, so what what kind of things do you say to yourself? Doesn't matter. Like sometimes I'll just go over the bio of the person. Sometimes I'll just speak whatever I want, like, like anything really to just get my tongue working because mm-hmm. I want to be in that frame of mind of, of being able to really what it is, it's taking the things in your head and being able to use a good economy of words to ask a poignant question. And I don't always do that, but I've noticed myself get better at doing that by doing it more. So we talked about, um, I feel like this should be a podcast in itself. Would you mind if, if, I post this because I feel like people would, would benefit from it. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. We talked about the big rocks, which are curiosity and presence. Mm -hmm. Are there any other big rocks that you would say that, that contribute to a great podcast or to a great podcast interview? For me, it's letting it go wherever it wants to go. I've seen myself get really tight and have the questions, but not be willing to to deviate off the script. An example of this would be Ali Abdal, I think at episode 61. I had done such incredible research on him, but I was too attached to the questions that I had and wasn't listening clearly enough to what he was saying. And a good example of me doing the opposite of that is going to be Noah Kagan, which I interviewed in person. And I had I don't know, maybe 20 bullet points about him from him. And I showed it to him after. And he's like, dude, we didn't talk about any of this stuff. And I was like, yeah, we didn't because I found more interesting things to talk about while we were talking. And so I think that that just shows my own progression of being able to let the conversation go wherever it's going to go without an agenda. And sometimes I feel like when people have podcasts about specific things, it kind of pigeonholes them in a way of not having the best conversation possible. Because if you're about fitness and, and I know you as someone into fitness and I only ask you fitness questions, well, I might miss a key moment from your life that I'm not willing to go down the rabbit hole on. And that's why Joe Rogan is so good. That's why Tim Ferriss is so good because they're willing to go down any little rabbit hole. And so one thing I might start incorporating and telling people pre-interview is I'm, I'm good to go down any rabbit hole you want, letting people feel free to express themselves fully. And so, yeah, I can actually share with you the pre-interview script I got from Bobby Hobart, which is amazing. And I'll, I call Thank it my you. flight instructions. I can make you a co-host or you can share it with me on the email afterwards. That'd be yeah. fantastic. Um, yeah. So you have no agenda. And no intentions. You have bullet points, but you're just like, okay, we we can do this or we don't have to do this kind of thing. And you let it go wherever it goes. My agenda is to one, connect with the person on a deep level and two, make them realize things about themselves that maybe they didn't even know. Um, So if I can do that and be curious myself and enjoy it, I've already won. It doesn't matter if people listen to it. It doesn't matter if... If uh, someone tells me it sucks, whatever, it's like, it's just like, can I find joy from the process itself? And if I can do that, that's the win. And that's how I treat it, you know, but other people might treat it like I need this to get views. I need this. Um, But it's a balance too. So yeah. What's the balance? I mean, the balance is like, I want to grow the audience. I want to build it. So um, I, I don't know if that's going to mean like tailoring specific questions to things that I know could grow the audience, mm-hmm. like asking about somebody who the person's connected to, mm. for example, like 
one of the things I wish I asked David Perel was about Peter Thiel. And one, because I'm really interested in Peter Thiel and like his connection to him, but also like I, that could have been a great clip for social media. Mm. But so it's like the balance is thinking about what are things you're interested in that could also be good clips or things that other mm. people might be interested in too. Do you ever feel like, um, you know, people who have gone interviewed so many times that they fall into this uh, mentality and mode of just like, knowing you're going to get asked the same questions, no, I'm going to give the same answers. And how do you uh, break them out of that comfort level and yeah. get them to talk about shit that they may not necessarily even want to talk about sometimes or yeah. haven't even talked about in public? So the most frustrating thing for me is when I hear a guest say things that they've said time and time again on other podcasts on mine. And I don't mind if they have some similarity, but when it goes to the level of everything they say is something they've already said, I know we're not creating in that moment. An example of me not doing this well is with Steve Weatherford. Steve Weatherford, every answer he gave me was about an answer that he had previously said. And part of that was due to internet, part of that was due to not having time and connection. But a way I do that is by going deep on that person's story. And the way I do that is by listening to 10 episodes of the guest previously. But I don't think you need to listen to 10. I think like even just two, because I'll listen to 10 episodes to prepare for guests. And I'll notice that, you know, most of the people I listen to, they haven't done any more research than, than just like look at their bio and just if you listen to two episodes, you might be able to pull out a story or two that is interesting that they that you might have a question on. And if you have a question on the story they're telling that the guest in that podcast hasn't covered, then you have a unique angle. And then the guest might be like, wow, like I've never thought about it like that. Mm. Um, and another way to do that is to go deep on the tweets as well and look at someone's most favorited tweets from the last 10 years and use advanced search that way. Mm. And is there, we talked a little bit about the research process and I'm pretty sure that that goes heavy into like every single interview that you do. Mm. So what exactly is your process to, uh, you just mentioned that you listened to about 10 episodes. Of, I mean, that's fucking 10 hours of like, I know. I hope you do and it at double speed or something. Yeah, like I do 1.5 <laughs> or two sometimes, but yeah, I, yeah. and I, I would say another thing is just like picture yourself in their shoes, right? Like if you could imagine yourself navigating through life as this person, what would you do? What would your motivations be? And not to assume, but just to like get yourself in the frame of mind. Because if I can think about, oh, I'm Dan Go and I opened a gym at this time in my life. And then I kind of had a, you know, a spiritual awakening type of thing. And then I you know, met a, a beautiful woman, then I had a child, then, I, you know, like, if I can think about those things and imagine, then I can ask better questions, because I can put myself in your your place. And I, I've got um, Tim Fer. I've got a, an interviewing Rome document that I've shared before. But one of the things that um, Tim Ferris has said is like, to to have questions that force non-obvious answers. And it's like, if you can make somebody think for a second, you can get real insight and, and get better answers. What does an example of that look like? For me, it's, it's, it's questions that questions so I have a, a sheet of of great questions for for podcasting interviewing. <laughs> like it's crazy because I don't I never thought about creating these systems, but like it's like I, I've built them. Um, yeah. So here are examples of questions that make you think and questions that make you go deeper. Um, if I pray for you, what should I pray for? Um, and that's like more of like a conversational one. But like for an interview, it's like. Um, what does the hero of your story want in this moment? 
if you could write down one question on your bedside and have the answer tomorrow morning, what would that question be? Who are your heroes? What do you worship? How would you of today advise yourself three years ago? What do you feel like you've mastered and what do you feel like you're still learning? So I'll send you all these, but I'm like, I'm thinking about it. I'm just like, those are like mind blowing questions if I heard it. Right. Exactly. And that's the point. And what you notice is that this is what I love about interviewing is like, you're going to have a hundred thousand more conversations in your life. So how impactful could those conversations be if you simply ask the right questions? And I saw your eyes light up. You're like, holy shit. Like, like, holy shit. (laughs) Yeah, dude. It's like the richness of our experience is based on the questions we ask. So how could we become masters of this art form? And so that's how I think at least. Okay. Uh, so, So what else goes into your research process then? Right? Yeah. So you listen to 10 hours. You're writing notes, obviously. Yeah. And then how do you compile these notes? And I know that you don't set an agenda, but you obviously have this fact sheet yeah. and you know everything about this person. Do you ever like use that and just be like, yeah, blah, 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 blah. And then you have your sheet of like great questions. And then you, you find out what the perfect time is to throw that in. But, but what is it? What exactly is that? Uh, is your due process when you are, let's just say you're showing up for Gary V, which I feel is like one of your biggest interviews. Yeah. You know? And what exactly did you do to make sure that you showed up for Gary V in the best way possible? So, one thing that just was coincidental was I had an interview prior. And what made this important and what I realized the importance of this was it wasn't the first time I was speaking that day. We warm up when we talk. Uh, and, and so, and it was actually perfect because it was with a high school friend of mine who turned into a lacrosse player, yeah. like a professional lacrosse player. So I had some familiarity with him and I had a level of tone that I appreciated. For example, when I interviewed my grandparents, I was like, wow, I really like how I'm asking these questions with confidence and being able to navigate the conversation well. Why? Because I have a lot of comfortability with them. And so when I did that, I was then able to take that energy into a conversation with Gary V. Mm-hmm. And when I look back at that, that was only episode 39. So I've done 250 and, and I'm looking at 39. It, that wasn't for me. Like, I wish I could have done this better and that better. But, you know, that's part of growing as an interviewer. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I did to prepare was I started writing questions down for him two weeks before he even agreed to come on. So <laughs> keeping a notes file of different questions you have for different people, even if you might not be able to talk to them in this moment, could be helpful. I keep notes on random people at all times. Like this person said this, this was interesting about that. Um, I liked when this person, yeah, so that's what I do. Okay, um, so who's one of the people that you're currently keeping notes on that you would love to have on the podcast right now. Let's put it yeah. out there to the universe. Yeah. So Jason Calacanis is somebody who I've talked to on DMs and he had this great interview with Lex Friedman where he talks about being the first investor in Tesla. And when Elon Musk, it was down to his last dollar, basically, Jason believed in Elon. And I was like, whoa, this is crazy. And and so I wrote down that. And then I wrote down about how he handled getting doxxed one time. A guy on the internet threw out his information and he just DM'd him was like, dude, like, I know you must be upset. Like, what can I do for you? Basically, something like that. And I was mm. like, wow, that was so powerful and impactful. And if I ever interview him, I want to open with that story because that was in like, the last 10 minutes of his interview. And a lot of people didn't catch it, I'm sure, with Lex Friedman. And so how can I bring that to the forefront, get more people knowing about that um, and just like make him feel seen in that moment? Because that's what I'm really trying to do. I'm trying to make the interviewee really feel seen and understood and cared about and really like love on them the best I can through deep research and through really listening. And so th- that's what I'm, I'm having for, I have Jason Calacanis right here. And yeah, that that's like one person I, I hope to have on one day. 
Wow. And then how do you come up with this uh, list of people that you want to interview? I know curiosity is a big one. Um, is it just uh, being or watching interviews? Is it uh, by reading their books uh, where you're just like, I just got to you know, dig deeper with this guy? Like, How do you come up with this list of people that you want to talk to? I love people and yeah. I love content. So it's like, I've always been big on reading and, and books. And now I love listening to podcasts and videos. So one person leads to the next person. And it's it's like there'll never be an, enough people, you know? So it's it's not a problem because I, I just enjoy it as a consumer. Mm. I, I want to ask, uh, this may seem like a very weird question. So how do you cultivate a love for people? You know, because... Uh, you and I know we're both in this uh, Twitterverse and we're both uh, very heavy on social media. Uh, we see the best and the worst of people literally every single day. Uh, it amplifies as you get a little bit, you know, get more followers and whatnot. Yeah. So what exactly is it just like a natural love for people? I'm, I'm pretty sure it's that. But is there anything else that you do to cultivate this love, to cultivate this this? inherent love for other people and i don't want to make it seem like i don't love people <laughs> i do but i'm very protective as, as right. well you know of like uh the people that i allow into my life uh and also just you know maybe being a little bit jaded you know being on the social media tip so yeah what is it that you do to to cultivate this love for people i guess i really just assume positive intent and it hasn't really burned me too much yet so mm. i don't really I don't really like, I don't really have enough downsides to, I'm not jaded enough <laughs> to, to really think about it like that. And so I don't know if that just youth or my personality or inclination. So. Yeah. No, it's uh, definitely, uh, yeah, man. It's, I find that with the great interviewers, amazing interviewers, they have this general love and curiosity for the people that they interview and also for their audience and the people who are listening. Right. Um, and it seems to me from your perspective that number one, you come in with a great deal of like spirit when you get into these interviews and it can't be, it can't be condensed into words. It's literally a, a love for people, a curiosity to find their story and it's also just like, hey, like I'm actually getting to talk to some of the smartest fucking people in the world. So, yeah, that's something that I want to like point out in you. It's just that, you know, you definitely have this like energy where it's super positive and it's like it's like nothing can get you down. And I'm pretty sure like, you know, I'm pretty sure some shit gets you down and whatnot sometimes or whatnot. But uh, but definitely that's something I want to point out in you. It's just like you're so, you know, you're just like when I think about Dana Miranda, I just think like, oh, fuck, this guy's like one of the happiest people I know. Is it true? Yeah, man. yeah, it's true because I'm doing what I feel called to do. Yeah. And I'm using my innate gifts to help other people in some way. Hmm. And so there was a, a month when I stopped podcasting, depressed out of my mind, hmm. like just so down in every moment. And when I did one, I was like, oh my God, like, why was I not doing this for the past month? And so it's kind of like, I can't not do it. And if I don't do it, I get penalized by my soul. And so you see me in my happiest state when I'm recording, when I'm talking to these people, because these are people who have inspired me, who have changed my life in some way, your tweets, your ideas. Like, I'm so excited to talk to you because I'm like, yo, this guy is I feel like this guy gets it at a deep level. And so I get to talk to so many people who quote unquote get it. And that makes me so happy to connect with those people. And that's why I'm loving Austin right now is because it feels like from every pe person I've spoken to, they get it. And what do, what do I mean by get it? I mean that they understand that the truth of like life is not about clout or money. It's like how happy can you make someone else? How can you serve someone else? How can you present a true 
version of yourself? How can you be authentic to yourself? So I'm talking to people who are interested in that via my podcast. And then that makes me happy. And I get to learn more about them. And also Malcolm Gladwell has something that he said, something in, that I never stopped thinking about, which is like, and there's some interview interviewers who don't do this exactly, but he said, the purpose of an interview is to be more interested in the other person than yourself. And I always think about that. Like, is this too focused on me right now? Am I spending too much time shining a light on myself? And I even get in my head about that. Like, oh, I, I talk too much about myself here or here. Like, I, I wish I talked about the other person and shown, shined a light on them. So... So this is great. Um, let me segue into the next one, which is biggest mistakes then, right? So what are your biggest mistakes, biggest learning lessons, uh, things that you can tell someone to uh, possibly just like uh, skip over some of the shit that you had to learn uh, back in your uh, time? <laughs> yeah. I mean, in one part, I kind of feel like the mistakes are, you're going to make mistakes that are your mistakes. But w- one thing that we touched on before was, the research piece on it and focusing too much on that and leaning too heavily into that. One thing about the Gary V episode was I asked basically questions that I had thought of uh, previously. And I thought I did a good job with that, but to make them interesting, but I also, I didn't do a good enough job of listening in the moment to him and really connecting with him. And one thing, the one reason why that was, I think is because that was my first 30 minute interview the previous 38 I had done were an hour plus. And so because I was stuck in that 30 minute mindset, I didn't feel like I had room to just explore ideas, which is what I love so much about the long form discussion. It's like, we could just go off on a tangent and that's cool. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's a big boundary though. 30 minutes just to, I mean, that's like having a coffee, but you can't get past like the surface level shit on that. Exactly. So yeah. that so I made sure my questions were really deep and things that he hadn't heard before or answered. And mm-hmm. they weren't all like that, but many were. And yeah. and that was cool for me. What would you have done differently in that situation then? I would have probably listened more and had those questions, but also been okay with whatever happened and just let it be. And an example of me doing that better from my perspective is with Ariel Hawani, which was the same 30-minute interview, but I was able to just let it go wherever it needed to go. I had prepared questions, but I didn't feel so rushed or like I needed to to like ask the specific questions I had. How do you get guys to get into that mode with you? Because they're probably meeting you for the very first time. If you have this like, even if it's like a one-hour window right? It could be kind of hard for them to break past the, you know, the, the facade a little bit. Is there anything that you do specifically to, to help them, you know, get more comfort? I think one of the things that you mentioned was you drop like a really awesome question right off the bat, right? Something they'd never been asked before. Yeah. That that's a, that's what I was going to say, which (laughs) is that the first question, if it's about something deep in that person's history, like when, when I hear an interviewer start an episode with, tell me about your story, I literally scream. Like if I'm in my house alone, I'm like, oh no, like you have this glorious opportunity and every question you ask leads to, it's like a butterfly effect. So if somebody's in the script of, okay, this is just like a normal podcast and we just talk about the same thing we talk about every time, they're going to have that mode on for the rest of the conversation. And so- Listen, there's nothing wrong about doing that. And you can have a great episode by asking somebody about their story. If you listen to my first, probably 30, it's a, I do that. But I realize there's something so powerful of telling them or asking them about a moment deep in their history that they maybe forgot about. Um, and it, if you listen to my first episode with David Perel, we we talked about just that of like, so like, your high school friends, Alec and Xander, you, you guys had an incredible time with the golf team and like what happened to make your junior season 
incredible. And so just to frame it like that, you hear him laugh, like, <laughs> like, I can't believe you asked that. Like, that makes me so happy. And he's like, that's a great place to start. And so when you have that, you instantly have rapport and you instantly, the person on the other end sees you differently because they're like, oh, this is somebody who wants to know me at a deep level. That's so juicy. Yeah. That's super juicy right there. Yeah, dude. Oh God. Okay. What do you feel was one of your best moments uh, podcasting when you look back right now? I mean, recency bias plays a role, but the three episodes I did that haven't been released yet, maybe when people are listening to this, they'll be released, but Carter Good, David Perel, Noah Kagan, this is beautiful doing it on Zoom, doing it online, Mm. but I was able to go so much deeper with them in person and able to... So I'm most proud that I I challenge myself to go to the next level and I challenge myself to keep improving. For example, when I started, it was audio only. Our first episode, audio only. Then I said, you know what? If I really want to take myself seriously, if I want to get to the next level, after 40 episodes with Gary Vee, I did, okay, let's do this video too. Then I took it to the next level with like clips. Then I took it to the next level with in person. And so it's like constantly building and I'm most proud, not of a specific moment, but of just like being able to keep building on it and staying true to the vision and still loving the process as much, if not more than when I started. Hmm. You're making me want to change the name of my podcast. So the name of my podcast is uh, called High Performance Founder. And, and, and you know what? It's like, it so boxes me in, you know, because the concept of High Performance Founder is like, let's tease out like all these like things that really fit founders do that, uh, that, you know, causes them to be more successful or whatnot. Um, and you're making me want to change. It's just like the Dan go podcast, essentially just like, yeah. yeah, because like for me, when I think about interviewing people, it's interviewing people and actually getting, and actually talking to really fucking smart people, right. Yeah. You actually have a chance to talk to smart people, not box yourself in and to go into places that you would not necessarily even think about going but you exactly. can't do that when you when you're so niched, right? Exactly. And so mm. I wanted to talk to a lot of high performance founders too. Mm. But if I had that as the mindset, I wouldn't have been able to talk to my Uber driver who recommended a book that changed my life. Mm. And and so that's probably one of my most proud moments is like tracking down the guy who just recommended this book, A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle and gave it to me and said like, yo, you got to read this. And then I was able to talk to him and uncover his story and make it a big moment for him. And that was just so powerful. It's like, I never would have been able to do that if I was niched into, you know, fitness or meditation or whatever. Uh, you, you actually mentioned that uh, you interviewed your grandparents, yes. right? Um, now, what was the intent to interview your grandparents? And how exactly did, did you approach it like a regular interview where you're just like, you ask them like the, the best question right off the top just to get them in the mood? Or did you approach it differently because you had this like level of comfort with them? Because the reason I'm asking is because I want to interview my dad. You know, yeah. I want to interview him, his story, how he brought us over from the Philippines. So what was the, uh, what was the whole process behind interviewing your grandparents? It was, I don't, I don't really remember. I think it was just to preserve a memory and to make sure that my grandchildren could hear what my grandparents were like. And it it was just like a cool way to tell their story in a way that I wanted to have preserved. And I don't, I don't think I approached it with like, here are specific moments. I kind of just let it go wherever it wanted to go. Um, but what I was curious about when you were talking to them. You just find out things about mm-hmm. them that you otherwise never would have known. And, or at least that's what happened to me. And I was like, wow, like I thought I knew you well, but I didn't know this about you. And it was only because I set that intention of like spending an hour plus with them and, and really diving deep on specific things. Gotcha. So this has been fucking amazing. Uh huh. Okay. Uh, last, uh, I, I wish I had like this, like, you know, this fucking amazing question I can ask you. I, I need yeah. your list of questions, man. <laughs> I gotta get, uh, do Just you, start stealing questions. 
Yes. You know, I, like if you hear a good one, literally just keep a note in your phone. I think what I'm getting from this also, especially from your research process, is that you are a student of the fucking game, right? You yes. are a student of the game. So yeah. you listen to Lex Friedman, uh, you, you watch basically a podcast across the board, and you are taking notes, uh, regardless of whoever's on that podcast or not. So that's something I respect. Uh, do you set goals for your podcast? Not really. I mean, I, I want it to be bigger. I want to yeah. 10x the listenership. I want to grow it. And I'm constantly thinking about ideas and ways to do that. Mm-hmm. But I also understand I'm living the dream right now. You know, going to Austin, like interviewing people I admire and respect, you know, just being able to connect with people on a deep level. Like if I could do this for the next 50 years, I'll have won the game of life. Yeah. And But how do you distribute them? How do you market? Uh, like how do you get it, the word out? Cause I mean, like right now you have, uh, I think, you know, you have a Twitter social media yeah. following, you have an Instagram following. So, yeah. so how exactly does, do you get all these like downloads or does yeah. it just happen organically? Um, it, it's mainly through Twitter at this time. Um, but I think marketing is one thing that I could do such a better job at like more clips, more threads, more, like I had one thread go viral with Sahil Bloom. Mm-hmm. He had a great story meeting Tim Cook. And that I think did like a million impressions on that one tweet. And it like drove, I don't know, probably like 10,000 downloads for that episode or 3,000 downloads and 7,000 YouTube views. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was uh, impactful. And I need to do more of that. And I don't, I'm just like, I'm in my first year and a half of marketing this thing. And so I view it as like a, a 20 year game minimum. Absolutely. And also, uh, I think you're putting the focus on what matters most, which is the product, right? Exactly. Which is the interview itself. All right. Dude, this has been amazing. Amazing. And, and you're really good at this too. Like mm. truly like the way you were able to ask questions and, and take things that I said Something my mom says to me all the time is like, I don't know how you did that mid-conversation, came up with that question, and you did that constantly, which is like an incredible skill, and it just shows innate curiosity. And so, yeah, I think you're you're destined to do this well if you commit yourself to it. I appreciate it, Danny. I love you, man. You know, just yeah. I, I I see us. Uh, I've seen this like just kind of grow in the past two years, uh, both of us, and it seems like we're kind of doing. Uh, we're growing together side by side, kind of doing different things right now. But uh, but yeah, it's going to be a very interesting getting into this uh, podcast interview game. And I appreciate the fact that you took the time. Uh, this is like right off the bat. So if you're listening to this, I literally just texted Daniel <laughs> like an hour ago. And I asked him, can he just jump on and can I ask him a couple of questions uh, about how to be a great podcast interview or that is. And he's like, yeah, dude, 20 minutes, let's go. Uh, and, <laughs> and here we are. Uh, so I appreciate you, man. Uh, and I appreciate your process. You are, dude, you're, you're a quintessential creator and you really put value in your art. And that is something I deeply respect. And that's something that I am working towards right now. Definitely. It's always a work in progress, but that's something I respect about you. You put so much emphasis on the art itself and that is why you uh have the success that you do so far so looking forward to seeing you grow my man thank you i really yeah. appreciate the kind words and i admire you as a creator as well yeah when can we expect the first interviews like when how are you gonna think about that so i'm warming up right now i'm, I'm doing it with you <laughs> i love it, dude I, incredible. Yeah, i'm talking to someone that i have comfort with and uh someone that uh that someone who's like niche i'm really super interested about and curious about um i'm doing my first interviews next week uh have one with dan co and uh zuby of all people i actually did one with uh ed Lattimore, but i think we got to like redo that one um but, <laughs> but otherwise uh, i'm looking at uh, probably like one podcast interview a week two one to two podcast interviews a week and the way I'm approaching it is uh, an ability to really just talk to smart people whose values that I connect with and people who I find uber interesting and curious uh, and I have a massive curiosity for. 
So, uh, so yeah, and uh, and who knows where it's going to go? Uh, but you know, we'll take things one step at a time. And uh, yeah, that's all I can ask for myself right now. Why do you have to redo one with Ed? <laughs> Quite honestly, let's be. If I'm just being completely honest right now, like I think number one, I approached it as uh, just a general interview and i was like tell me your story all this kind of stuff and then i think when you do that that actually does make a person check out and go into automatic mode Mm -hmm. and um and also i don't know if we should cut this out or not but i'm gonna leave it in like basically we're doing a video interview with each other and he had his glasses on and ed if you're watching this all right sorry i'm calling you shit out so he had his glasses on <laughs> and you know, you can't, you can't see a person's hands. Yeah. And then I saw like the reflection of him looking at his like phone off of his glasses. <laughs> he was checked out. And, and I did, I should have fucking called him out on it, you know, but at the same time I take responsibility because I was probably just like doing the most boring fucking interview on the planet. And I saw him on his, I saw him on his phone and I'm like, Oh God, this guy's like super checked out of this interview. I uh, I gotta like, I got to get better at this shit. So that's how I, that's the reason I said it. It's probably have to redo it with that, have to revisit that and, um, and do it. Uh, and you know what? I went into it like willy nilly, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I just like, okay, well, you just talk to people. You just ask yeah. me questions. <laughs> <laughs> what could be so hard about that? <laughs> that's the thing, bro. It yeah. seems so easy yeah. when it's done well. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like looking at Michael Jordan, like, yeah, I could, I could shoot hoops like that. Look, it's a basket. Get it to the ball. Like, get it to the hoop. Like, no big deal. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's something you work on. Yeah, it's it's not something you go into willy nilly. There is a due process, and you actually have to find your own process when it comes to this stuff. I do believe that. Definitely. And uh, and I just literally, if I'm being, if I'm taking ownership for it, I went into it unprepared. I thought I was just going to talk to a friend. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I was just going to leave it at that, right? Although I did come into this interview or this, I don't know, we're not calling it an interview, but we decided to make it public. Yeah. And sorry, Ed, for, for calling your shit out. But, you know, but uh, I went into this interview without that due process, but I did it with the intent of, uh, of number one, uh, I'm looking for pretty much your process and you're cur- and, and curious about the way you approach things and the way that you do things, the way you research, the way that you open people up. And then also I'm just very, you know, comfortable talking to you as well. So, you know, so it's thinking like, how can I take that to every conversation I enter into? Absolutely. And especially with people that I don't know, I want to be able to be prepared. Like for you and I, I feel like we're like running mates, right? To a very large extent, like we're running beside each other and we're just like pushing each other a little bit. If I'm interviewing someone like even Zuby, I have like a immense amount of comfort with who I'm going to interview like next week, but I shouldn't rely on that comfort just because we had a couple conversations with each other. Right. Mm -hmm. I have to do my due process. I have to be very curious about the person and not just like turn it into like, Hey, we're at the bar. Let's like have a conversation. You know, I want to eke out what makes Zuby Zuby. So, so that's the way I'm approaching things differently based on this, uh, this whole conversation that we're having right now. And I do realize like through talking to you, my mistakes, uh, the things I would do differently, the things I've learned as a result of like, oh, this happened because, uh, yeah, that, because I didn't do that. <laughs> so, so yeah, I've learned a lot from this and, uh, this is like plenty of ammo to, yeah. to take into, to just be a good interviewer and just to be a good podcaster. I think one other thing that I want to mention is a topic I've been thinking about, which is authentic expression, right? Like being able to express what you're feeling in any given moment is such a powerful skill. And 
you have to cultivate it in a way. And I cultivate it by meditating and like asking myself questions. Other people cultivate it by journaling often. But right, if you were authentically expressing yourself in the moment with Ed looking down at his phone, mm-hmm. that might be a better interview. And mm-hmm. it's like the better you can get at tapping into your real expression, the better the interview will be. And the more people can tell like, wow, that's really Dan Go, mm-hmm. you know? So mm-hmm. I like that. And you're right. It's like, if I was really, if I wasn't trying to play interviewer, you know, and I was being like, let's just say, I, I think the term be yourself is a little bit, you know, is a little bit Overused. vague in general, but yeah. if I was being true to myself and being true in that moment, I would have been like, Ed, let's get real here. Get, get yeah. the phone out of your fucking hands. Let's, let's be right here. I know, yeah. I, I know I'm a shit interviewer right now, but <laughs> <laughs> get off of your fucking phone. You don't need to know what's on your calendar or whatever you're trying to like respond to. Yeah. So I love that authentic expression. And I don't think you can really do that without the doing. You can't. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and on the pre-flight checklist, I have, you know, turn off your phone or make sure you log out of iMessage or FaceTime plug in your laptop, grab water to let the person know it's okay if they curse, you know? And is there so, anything that he asked him to like say pre-flight and you're just like, is there anything that we should not touch you know, or anything like that? It's like, do you say, do you have a preamble for them before their actual interview? Yeah. I mean, I just go through this list. Um, and then I ask them if they have any questions for me, but I, I don't ask about anything not to touch. And the reason why is because I don't want them thinking, I mean, this might be my own fault, but I don't want them thinking about what they don't want to talk about. It's like, Mm -hmm. don't think about a pink elephant. Okay. Now Mm -hmm. I can't stop thinking about the pink elephant. And, and now like I'm entering into the conversation thinking about this pink elephant that I don't want to talk about. So Mm -hmm. I could understand that being kind of troubling. And if we do end up touching on something that the person doesn't want to talk about, I just move on and and you can often tell by body language or how quick the answer is. So Uh, I have another, so you've done your first live interviews. Mm -hmm. What were your biggest lessons from doing the live interviews and how did you set it up in a way to make sure that like nothing got, you know, effed up and all that? Yeah. Um, So one thing I did was I printed out notes and for the second one and listen like doing live interviews is going to be its whole they're going to bring new challenges that i don't even know i have and i've done three so not an expert but one thing i did was print out notes so that i could write on them and so that the computer wouldn't get in the way because sometimes i feel like when there's a computer it kind of like it messes up the vibe and i had the computer on the first the second live interview i did and it didn't turn out great so Mm. That's one thing I'm thinking about. And what do you mean by the computer? Like, uh, was it like in the room and it was mm-hmm. on like, uh, and you guys were able to see the screen? Like what exactly are you talking about there? Yeah. So I mean like a computer, my computer in front of me or oh. to the side of me. And so I didn't have a way to print out anything and I didn't know to like just have notes or so. Would you recommend that for Zoom interviews as well, just to have printed notes? No tech? For Zoom, I do, and online interviews, I have the person on the right side of the screen and the notes on the left. And that way I can easily like look at notes and stuff. But I also kind of want to challenge myself not to use notes. But the, the reason why I like notes is because it gives me their exact phrasing or the thing that they say, if I can quote something to them that they said, people really like when you quote something that they said in the past. And that's a little, little way to make someone feel seen is like, oh, like I took the time to believe that this resonates with me. Okay. What are some other ways that you get people to feel seen in an interview? Really listening is a big one, like being with them and and asking them follow-up questions that really come from your heart. Um, another another way is is to ask somebody who knows the person about them. Like for Noah Kagan, I asked his 
uh, employee or assistant, like what's something about Noah that I can ask him that might surprise him or might help, you know, guide the conversation in some way. And I ended up asking the question and that was a way to let him know and the audience know, yo, I care about this conversation so much that I'm willing to do research before. And that's like, when you, when you do deep research and it's not to say you have to do it for every episode, but it's like almost giving a wink to the audience. Like, yo, I got you. Like we're on the same team here. And the reason why I do that personally is because I love when the person who's interviewing the interviewee is a fan of the interviewee. Mm -hmm. And so I try to be fans of every single person I talk to. I don't always do it. I don't always do deep research for everyone. An example of me not doing deep research is Stone Fredrickson, that conversation. But I mean, it would have been, it would have added to it if I did. Awesome. All right. So should I send this over to you? Yeah, man. I can't yeah. wait to post this. Hopefully it's I'll helpful to people. <laughs> send you the video. I'll send you the video. I'll send you the recording. Um, and once again, I just want to thank you for uh, for jumping on. Actually, I was going to end it off. Actually, one thing. Fuck, I have another question for you. How do you know when to end an interview? Right. I know that you have this time limit. And yeah. it seems like you have an eye on the time and you have this presence that you're trying to be with this person. Mm -hmm. So how exactly do you go about ending an interview? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think some of it is intuitive at this point of like doing it so much. Um, I also think about like, how does the audience feel when ending? Like, are we ending on a note on a note that is full of joy, full of gratitude, full of some emotion that the person could take into the next part of their day? I remember in one interview I did, it was like we talked about death. And then I kind of flipped it to like talk about life and and something like that and talk about something positive so that somebody leaving didn't have this like feeling of negativity that they were carrying around if they ended the episode with with death or something like deep like that. And so I think that's one thing I think about like ending on a good note that makes people feel whole, both the interviewee and me and the person listening. And what would be like an example of that? So one question I used to use a lot, which I don't often anymore is like, what pieces of parting wisdom do you have for people listening? And so that was just like, usually a positive note. Um, but I'd be curious to see how I ended previous interviews and how um, how I did because it's something that I haven't really studied. Like, how am I ending interviews? It's just kind of like, I feel like it's, we've said what we need to say and we're mm. ready to move on. Awesome. Awesome. You have a good uh, fingertip feel for these things, my friend. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. I'll send this over to you. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be glorious. Uh, and uh, feel free to use it. And uh, yeah, man, uh, I'll be coming to you for more podcast advice, most likely in the future. I'm here as a resource. <laughs> Please use me for anything. It's Absolutely. my joy to help you. And, uh, <laughs> I appreciate I, it, brother. I appreciate All right. you.